I think we're on here, Kira. Oh, hey, we're on. I think. Okay. It looks like we are. All right. Well, I don't, we're. This is an auspicious way to come back. I know. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? It's um, it's my first day back from vacation. I've had too much coffee, so like I'm ready to fight. Oh, with me? No, just or, like okay, generally, good. just like ready to. Like you're in fighting shape. Like let's do this thing. Yeah. I love it. That's exactly where. That's where I want you. I think that's perfect. Okay, well, I don't see anybody on the chat yet. Maybe people forgot that this exists. I mean, because <laughs> it's been a while since we've done it. Did, did you forget it existed? No comment. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but I'm here now, and I think that's the important thing. That is the important thing. Um, well, good morning, Phil. Oh, good morning, Kira. Let's introduce ourselves. Uh, who are you? Oh, no. Me first, you first, huh? Uh, me first. Okay. Uh, I'm Philip Duvall. Um, and I am, uh, what am I? I'm rector at Church of the Redeemer in Cincinnati, Ohio, the queen city of the Midwest. And what about you? I am the Reverend Kira Austin Young, priest in charge of St. Anne's in Nashville. And yesterday was our patronal feast day. It was the feast of St. Anne. Whoa. Tell yeah. me, tell me St. Anne. I used Ooh. to know. Who is St. Anne? Well, this let's get nerdy question. with it. Let's get nerdy with it. Who's yeah, St. Anne? Is, this is a question that many people who attend my church don't even really know. Um, St. Anne is the mother of Mary and the grandmother of Jesus. And while her and her husband are not mentioned by name in the canonical gospels, they are uh, mentioned in what's called the infancy gospel of James. All right. And uh, they were a wealthy, educated couple living in, in Nazareth. And uh, they were, uh, they struggled to have children and prayed to the Lord. And uh, like, like Anne, so Anne would be Hannah in like the Hebrew. And so yeah. like her uh, namesake in first Samuel, they prayed to the Lord and promised to dedicate their child to the service of God. Uh, were they to have one and the the Lord heard their prayers and uh, gave them Mary. We're also joined uh, today by by Tilda, my Tilda. <laughs> one of my cats. Um, and so St. Anne is the patron saint, patroness saint of, um, of educators actually, because it's uh, tradition holds that she taught Mary to read, that Mary was actually um, a well-educated woman of her time. And uh, she is also the saint of, uh, of mothers of women who are people who hope to be pregnant and those who are in labor to give birth. And, oh. um, and grandparents, her and Joachim, her husband, are patron saints of grandparents. So um, oh, I used to be down the street from a Saint Joachim. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's who that is. So, so they, so, well, I have so many questions. So this is, an, so this is a, this is a, in, within Christian tradition because biblically Anne doesn't show up. Biblically, right. In our like canonical gospels. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So are there non-canonical <laughs> gospels where, where, where Anne shows up? There are, yeah. The infancy narrative. Oh, right. You said that. Right. Okay. Yes. You and said okay. there's also right. some, um, there's also some tradition that gets relayed through some Pope's letters that uh, St. Anne was buried in the South of France 
that um, some of the some of those saints, Lazarus and Mary Magdalene, and a few folks left Jerusalem during a period of persecution, and got on a boat and traveled to France, where they landed. So, wow. um, yeah, there's so a whole many bunch, questions. so bunch of wacky. I mean, you know, it's one of I wouldn't say it's wacky. I I was just thinking about this this morning, and it's one of those things where like you can take what's meaningful and sort of leave the rest, you know, like, um, very American of you. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you know, probably Mary had, uh, parents and Jesus had grandparents and those, this is likely. those, those people probably factored, uh, into, into their lives. It's interesting. The idea, um, of, of, um, Mary coming from essentially a wealthy family because then she marries this carpenter. There's a lot to unpack there. Right. Well, I mean, and wealthy meaning like not royal, but like, well, you know, but like not on the view, right. educated. Right. And I mean, I think I, I do think we kind of down, are we, um, I don't know, we have this idea, especially as contemporary people of somebody working with their hands as a person who we create more, blue collar versus white collar yeah whereas yeah. the community might have seen that differently right well i mean and really yeah. that that word that joseph is called in the greek um it's not really carpenter it's more of an artisan so oh. you know you're thinking less maybe somebody say contemporarily somebody who's like working in the sun building houses and more maybe somebody who's like fashioning a, a fancy dinner table like right right you know he made humidors and yeah. <laughs> uh, and shoot shoe trees and things like that right um, i i don't know all of this conversation about Anne, uh it definitely uh my protestant uh cackles are raised right like i'm I like that the back of my the hairs are all sort of I know, you know you're like a little not in the bible i don't know <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do with that information. Um, hey, by the way, Leslie's here. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Uh, it's good to have you with us. Leslie uh, is uh, uh, bringing in. By the way, brought a question to the table that's going to be uh, the centerpiece of our, the main piece of our conversation today because I think it'll take the whole time, frankly. Um, uh, but we talked a little bit about Saint Anne. I used to be at a church called Saint John the Divine. Mm. And which, of course, the one who divines the revelation of God. So John the Revelator is another term, which I think also sounds pretty cool. There's some yeah. good blues songs about John the Revelator. Um, listen to Blind Willie Johnson sing about John the Revelator. But but um, most people from St. John the Divine did not make that connection at my previous church. And a lot of times in the tradition, he doesn't have a feast day because all of the Johns, uh, John the Disciple, mm -hmm. John the Evangelist, John the um, pastoral, the author of the pastoral letters, or the or the anyway the Johannine letters, and then John the the Divine, John the Revelator, very well could have been two, three, four different people. Just too many Johns. Too many Johns. Still, still today, it's a problem we have. Yeah, it's, you got John the Baptist. You names. got you know. <laughs> um, it's a good name. Um. It's always, I actually feel like when someone in our time names someone John, I'm like, wow, you went for it. Like, <laughs> you didn't try to be like, you know, like you didn't pick some name that like, you know, like, like, you know, is 
I don't know, you didn't create a new name or try to find right. a name that wasn't going to fit. They were just like, John, I'm happy with it. What's the problem? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like <laughs> all right. Mary too. And even some Mary, I'm like, good for you. You did it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Emily. Fantastic. I love this. This is what I'm talking about. Um, but anyways, so uh, the classics, yeah. they're, they're classics. These are classics names. So, so anyways, um, uh, but people, so my, so like we did a lot of work at my previous parish about sort of like who John the divine was and mm -hmm. what that meant. And, um, yeah, like it was really beautiful, um, to like delve into revelation and delve into that thing, but, but, but we didn't have a feast day because of it. Oh, and now I'm church of the redeemer. What's the redeemer feast day? Every Sunday, every dang day, <laughs> just living here, just living here in eternity. In, in the redeemed state, right? Redeemed state, in the already and the not yet. Mary Osterbrock's with us too. Mary, welcome. It's so good to have you. It's good to be back doing this. It how is. Your, how was your vacay? It was good. Um, you I went hiking. to, huh? You did some hiking. Did some hiking, went to visit my best friend in Fort Collins, Colorado, and we took a little trip to to uh, Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park, which was uh, really remarkable. And uh, then just kind of like we hung out, did some did some swimming, did some hiking, did some um, visiting a lot of parks and and just kinda, a lot of watching the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was really nice. So, so how, how is it that you your best friend is in Fort Collins and you're in in Nashville? Um, so we've been best friends since our junior year of high school. Oh, yeah. And uh, she is a music theory professor at Colorado State University. And that's why she's awesome. in Fort Collins, which is a great place to live. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah. uh, it's the, the bike infrastructure there is great. It's, you know, on the front range of the mountains and uh, got a lot of great breweries there mm. and just a really kind of lovely, awesome. lovely place. So, I love that did, you guys have stayed connected that long. Yeah. So what did you do on your summer vacation? Well, I was, I went back to California to visit some friend, fam, friends and family, but I was just thinking about like, you, I'm like, wow, no one who's known me that long still likes me. So it's really amazing <laughs> that you kept that up that long. Um, we, I, I took a month off as many of you know, and, and um, uh, all I need is two months more and then I'll feel okay. Um, but, um, but that month was a good month off. And I, um, we did a week of staycation and then two weeks in California and then another week of staycation and then back at it. Um, and, um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I mean, three kids got to run them around and do that whole thing. But, um, but we had a nice time, got to see family, got to see people that we love very much and haven't seen in quite a long time. I had not seen my, 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 my oldest brother in over two years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's too long. And then all of my wife's family, uh, we hadn't seen since they were out here for her birthday in January, of, December and January of 2020 for like a minute. I mean, they were here for a little bit of time, but it was like a part of January 2020. Yeah. That was the last time I'd seen any of them. Man, that year and a half, really. You know, we all aged like, I I mean, there's so much more white here. And, and it's not because I stopped coloring it. I. I right. never colored it. It just showed up. And that's not, I don't care. It's fine. I'm not, but it's just like, we've all just kind of, man. It's been, it's been tough and it's kind of, yeah, it's sort of um, written on people's faces in a way that, I mean, including my own, I'll say. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, just the kind of difficulties of this past year and a half and 
Um, like I said, my best friend is a, a college professor and so is her husband. So they've done, you know, they had to transition to teaching yeah. uh, remotely right? and recording videos and, and doing all that stuff. And they were kind of saying like, yeah, like we haven't, we have students that like we've never met, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Um, and we can do it and we pulled it off, but this is not how I want to live. No, no. Like, we're made for each other and I want to like be around people in a real and practical physical ways as we're able to. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so it was good. Oh, you know what? Leslie pointed out that at Redeemer, uh, we feast. She said, maybe our feast days are Shrove Tuesday. And uh, and she pointed out, we do a chili cook-off every mm -hmm. year. Yeah, that, like a literal do. feast, a literal, yeah, a literal feast I day. like, those are my favorite kind of fe feast is the one where Feasting I'm literally <laughs> eating a lot of food. That's my kind of, I don't want to like, like, oh, it's a metaphorical feast. No, no, you should no. actually feast on feast days. Yeah, give me a lot of food. Like, yeah, <laughs> don't metaphorically feed me. Goodness gracious. All right. Um, but enough about that. Um, do we want to get to uh, the question? Oh, Betsy Berry's here all the way from Martha's Vineyard. Ooh, fancy. Jealous. I'm jealous is what I am. She's got her feet in the water over there, the Atlantic. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, we got a really good question. I want us to make sure we have some time to delve into it. Um, do you want to ask it? Do you want me to, do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? You can read it. I, I can read it, but it's, uh, the print is very small. So for on my, um, oh, sure. That's accurate. So hold on. Here we go. Here's the question. And I think it's a great question. Kira and Phil, why do we avoid the quote unquote us versus them mentality when talking about other Christians who weaponize the Bible to hurt people? Wouldn't it be more in line with Jesus' teachings to stand up for those who have been hurt and denounce the people who are abusing his teachings to harm others? You've talked about how we're not supposed to say that we're not like those Christians but why should we not do that when they are causing harm in the world? Kira, where, where shall we yeah. start? So the first place I kind of went is that to me, this is a, um, you know, best not point out the log in someone else or the splinter in someone else's eye when there's a log in, in our own eye and you know, while we in the Episcopal Church and more progressive churches kind of like to pat ourselves on the back for being open and accepting and being kind of forward thinking or whatever we like to kind of couch that as, even though, you know, I mean, we may think of it, and I certainly do, as kind of a biblical and theological mandate. Um, we have not always been that way. And even in my, in my lifetime and in my career, I have run into uh, sexism, I've run into um, homophobia, I've run into um, a, a lot of different things that, uh, you know, may, that are, that do this thing that kind of weaponize the Bible or weaponize the tradition or weaponize um, whatever to, to kind of push back against um, what we might hold and and at the same time we're not um 
we don't, we're not fully liberated, right? We're not living in kind of the, the fullness of God's kingdom and God's realm. And it can be hard to know what, what we're doing right now that might be perceived by others at a later date as, as, as wrong, as misguided, as hurtful. Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about these these boarding schools for indigenous people yeah. and some of those were run by episcopalians and run by the episcopal church and um you know and people thought they were kind of doing a good thing they thought they were helping uh you know indigenous people's kind of get you know uh what is the they word thought they were saving for? they thought they were saving the savages from hell right right from, and helping the them the you know fit into what is, you know, what we would kind of define as white culture. Yep. Um, so, you know, as, as easy as it is to kind of look back and say like, well, obviously that was wrong. Um, I always kind of wonder in the back of my mind, like, what are we doing that we think is even not necessarily right, but just normal or just part of the status quo that future generations will look back and go, how could they have not known? Um, so, that's kind of where I initially thought of. I mean, I think there is a way of talking about what we believe and how other traditions or other denominations or other Christians, um, what we believe is kind of a misunderstanding of the tradition or of the gospel. And, um, and I think it's, it's not a, it's a, um, it's an inter-sibling dispute, I guess, in that, in that so sense. There, that's the, so part of it for me, you started with the place that, uh, that sits, with, one of the things you started with was this pulling the, pulling the plank out of our own eye before we point out the pet speck in someone else's eye. The idea we need to, like when we speak with any, we need to make sure that we have any integrity to speak with any kind of moral authority. So do we speak, so now we have as a tradition uh, come to a place where our, our denomination has made, you know, clear claims and stances on, on, on the full inclusion and empowerment of LGBTQ plus people, for instance, in all levels of ministry and, and recognizing the blessing of their, that is their marriage and, and their relationships. And, but we're still in the midst of learning what that means about us. So we can be proud that we say that, but we need to figure out like, what is that? Like, are we in a place where we have the right to speak well of it or in a church that's still so entrenched culturally in white supremacy, do we have any right to speak uh, as if we're better than other churches? And then you go into that language that you spoke about um, this being, you know, there is an aspect of, there's a lot of issues in when you look in the New Testament where the writers are just like, they denounce other people, but they also work really hard at like, we are meant to be, belong to each other. And there's this one where Paul's like, you're taking each other to court? Yeah. Like we're Christians. We should be able to sort this out within, within like, we should be able to honestly, truly deal with reconciliation without getting the authorities involved. Um, that of course can be twisted and used in a lot of negative ways where things are kept secret instead of being made transparent. So I don't wanna make light of that. that. This idea that Paul Paul believed that our ability to be community meant we should be able to work these things out. But Paul also was the one who talked about 
uh, speaking the truth in love and wrote openly about like denouncing other people who were saying things that were contrary to the gospel. I mean, Leslie, who asked the question was in our Galatians Bible study and mm -hmm. Paul's just not having any of that nonsense. Like you, you say- You wicked Galatians. No, you foolish. No, you <laughs> foolish. Foolish, foolish. foolish. sorry. No, it's okay. You know, who is who has captivated your minds? And then he says, I wish these, I wish these people who keep talking about the circumcision would just go ahead and re-circumcise themselves. Like would actually, he says, would just castrate themselves. And he talks openly about ripping up Paul or Peter in person. And, you know, so we have that, we have that, we have an example of prophetic utterance against other Christians. We also know we're of this world. We live in this world. We're part of this culture. I don't know about you, Kira, but I have heard so many people talk about, um, as I, as I was kind of maybe going into my twenties, sort of like, none of these Christians can even agree with each other. Like they can't even get along. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, we come out of a history of Christians killing each other for being the wrong kind of Christian. Yeah. Of Christians saying, you're not even a real Christian mm -hmm. to us. People telling me I'm not a real Christian because I don't read the Bible the right way. I've been denounced by people from other traditions. Oh yeah. And My priesthood is not, I'm a, I'm a fake priest as a woman. Um, yeah. Right. So I, I, so I think we all come at this with a reticence to spend our time sort of specifically attacking or, or verbally, but not physically, but specifically sort of, uh, 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 uh denouncing, uh, whole swaths of Christians. Um, but, but. I'm feeling more and more convicted in my work that like, I don't know, like at the very least, we need to very, very loudly proclaim what we are. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need to say that place isn't real because there's a lot of maybe positive things that are happening in that space. There's a mega church down the road from me that um, I have just, legion of issues with this church. <laughs> um, and I think they do damage, frankly. I think they do damage. And also, it has been a good place for a lot of people to encounter Christ for the first time. And that's not fake. It's not false. But they have done, even in the last week, the, uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, they had a, a guest speaker who basically just got up and talked about like, essentially the myth of transgenderism and oh, how, right. And how, and this is a, this is the biggest church in Cincinnati and it's yeah. right down the street from us and how, how um, uh, trans healthcare is, is bad and how, you know, uh, I mean, and it goes on, right? Like if we really wanted to, if we really wanted to help gay people, we would help them not be gay and things like that. Mm -hmm. And this church has rightfully come under just a just a ton of fire from a lot of people. Now, a lot of us were like, "Yeah, we already knew they actually thought that." I'm there's something I'm actually I'm actually kind of grateful for mm -hmm. for the accidental transparency. Um, accidental meaning like they took the video offline of this guy speaking, and the pastor wrote like an apology that was like, "We seek to be welcoming to all people," but the reality is he was saying the things that that group as a as a, they believe it. 
So what's my part in that, right? So there was this Reddit thread. Now I'm getting anecdotal. So there's this Reddit Reddit thread that about this event and mm-hmm. people were all talking about it. I've never been on Reddit. Someone showed it to me. I had to join Reddit, you're welcome world, um, and comment on this. And I didn't, I didn't say anything about that church. I just said, because people were like, I wish there was a real churches that actually, you know, whatever, we're actually welcoming and affirming. <laughs> there uh, are. And so, I, so that was the thing is I was like, <laughs> so for what it's worth, I am an Episcopal priest at a church down the street from that church in Cincinnati, in Hyde Park, like here, we believe in the full inclusion and affirmation of LGBTQ plus people on all levels of ministry. We bless same-sex marriages. We have people uh, across that that gender and sexuality spectrum in all different kinds of areas of leadership in the church. We have ministries focused on that. Um, we believe that you are who you are and that God made you this way. Like all that stuff, like we are that. I didn't say anything about the other church, but I commented in that thread that was clearly about that other church. Yeah. But then should I also have been there on Sunday protesting? Like, cause there were protesters on Sunday mm-hmm. and there's a piece of that, that, and it's not cause, well, I hope it's not because I just don't want to be like, well, I don't want to cause any problems. I, I, I think that like we as Christian leaders, we have some kind of responsibility to rebuke, but we also have a responsibility to, I don't know. Yeah, well, and and to kind of like go off of that, I mean, there are a lot of churches here in the Nashville area that are, you know, kind of in that in that ilk of like very large kind of non-denominational or Baptist-ish, Church of Christ-ish congregations. And, you know, I know a lot of people who go to them that are kind of personally affirming, but they go to that church because whatever, they have a great childcare, they have great whatever speakers and small groups. And, um, you know, while I kind of personally would maybe not go to a church that wasn't, um, wasn't outspokenly affirming, like there are people in those churches. So I think it's hard to be kind of like, we're not like those Christians when some of those Christians are maybe more like us. Right. Um, and like, honestly, until we can, until I can guarantee that somebody can walk into an Episcopal church and not experience homophobia, not experience sexism, not experience uh, sexual or, you know, sexual or spiritual abuse. Um, I'm very hesitant to kind of say like, we're not like those Christians because those things happen in Episcopal churches. Um, hopefully on a less systemic level than they happen mm-hmm. in uh, in other churches, and hopefully at this point we've put in um, into place, you know, guidelines and barriers and um, you know systems that can help address those things. But yeah. it doesn't mean that they won't happen at all. Yeah. Um, and yes. that's really scary. And I think, I mean, given all, I've been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the podcast, okay, and which is fascinating listening and some of my friends are like why are you listening to that that's the um, mark Driscoll church up in seattle yes this is mark driscoll's church up up in seattle and i think one of the reasons i'm listening to it is because as a church leader when i start to think this couldn't be me or this couldn't happen at my church or um whatever those thoughts are that's when the, we're sort of most in danger of maybe that happening 
Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not on guard about the pride in my own heart, the mm-hmm. um, things that I want to take credit for, the um, leadership that can, you know, if I want my way or the highway, like that kind of feeling, um, the moment I'm less aware of that stuff, the more like it can really slip in. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand, you know, Leslie's talking about like, but how do we, for those people who need safe space, like we do need to make clear to people that we are going to be a church that is um, genuinely affirming and um, inclusive in the truest sense of the word or that we're going to seek to be. Right, that at least strives we're actively, to be, you know. That we're actively striving for that and seeking for that. Yes. Um, and that we have a, the- and this is an important point, that we actually have a theological framework. So for instance, I'm not saying you're welcome, even though I actually think that this is bad. I know that I want you at my church, even though uh, we're going to treat you like we're never going to actually like officiate a wedding for you. And you'll have to live in a sort of, you know, uh, will an unspoken second class of, of, of citizenship in this church. But, but we're not going to talk about that because you, we love you and you're welcome. So let's just kind of, you know, don't ask, don't tell sort of thing. Yeah. We, we're at the Episcopal church. We're not there. We're like, no, 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 no. Like ask, tell, like, like be yourself, be who you are. Um, um, don't ask, don't tell actually is, uh, um, is its own kind of damaging. I love you for your whole person. And, and by the way, I'm not good at it because I'm a person. So I'm going to screw this up a lot. And our church is going to screw this up a lot. However, to be able to say like, we can talk about, for instance, a theological framework for reading the Bible that can, that doesn't insist upon, um, uh, doesn't insist upon a heteronormativity, doesn't insist upon, um, you know, um, a a patriarchy, doesn't insist upon uh, the idea that, that, uh, there's only one kind of appropriate sexuality to express, and that is a, a heterosexual sexuality expressed within the confines of a very specific kind of marriage. That is it. If that is the only way, and everything else around that is sinful, like we can we can present a different narration. We can present a different narrative for what it means to read the Bible and to be in Christian community. And we have a very like I think now more than ever, so to speak. I think folks like us, we have a very like we should be feel compelled to do that. Oh, absolutely. I actually, um, I had, I had a beer with my best friend's priest while, you know, fairly, fairly new, uh, rector at her church. And, um, you know, then that was kind of one of the things that we're saying, like there's, uh, you know, and my best friend really fought kind of long and hard along with some of the other, you know, younger people at her church for their church to be very deliberate about being open and affirming and they did the whole like believe out loud thing and there were a lot of people kind of saying like well even if we are affirming like do we really need to like broadcast it or like make it part of our kind of branding and like her response was yes like we absolutely do and sure enough like it's one of those things that you know if people have a rainbow flag outside of their church like that's a that's a loud and clear sign of like, hey, not only are we going to be kind of quietly like, sure, sure, like, yeah, you're, you can come, you can come to church here, like, 
and more of a like, no, you are like actively welcome. We want you here. We want um, the witness that yeah. LGBTQ people yeah. Uh, yeah. are to the church. Um, yeah. We want to challenge our, you know, heterosexism and um, yeah. this idea that there is only one kind of family structure that's holy and, right. <laughs> um, and kind of what that might look like. And at the same time, you know, I mean, I am in a church that has long been kind of LGBTQ affirming. And the other day I went to make them um, to record a wedding and sure enough in our register, it's bride and groom. Yep. yep. And I mean just, that um, just got a new register because yeah. of that. Like that language is so ingrained in, um, in our publications in in all this stuff. Then I kind of like, I looked at it and I sort of balked and I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, I I mean I even to the point where I have this one book I use for premarital premarital counseling, and then I I I uh, gave it to a same sex couple that I was doing the work with, and I like as I was giving it to them, it just dawned on me like. It's a phenomenal book, by the way. It's really good. And it's not super conservative or anything, but it's just hetero, very heteronormative. It's just very heteronormative. It's not, it's not yeah. anti, it's not, it's just, it's just heteronormative. Yeah. And, and I was just like, okay, um, as I'm giving you this book, like I am realizing, and they were just gracious as all heck. They were like, eh, we know the world we live in. We're used to it. <laughs> Get it. And they know that I love them. And they're like, we'll glean from this what we need. And I was like, we don't have to. And they were like, no, 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 we, we're fine. But I mean, you know, but even the fact that, and they were, they were very gracious about it and very wonderful. But but that was my bad. I mean, like, I, you know, and so it's so ingrained. Um, yeah. I've had to do a lot of deliberate searching out of, of resources for things like that. And um, I would like to recommend this book, Modern Kinship, um, A Queer Guide to Christian Marriage. Um, and as, as a great resource for those who are interested in these conversations. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, yeah, to kind of like really, and what I've found is that books like Modern Kinship, other resources that I've used are equally useful for, you know, different gender couples. Um, right. Because it's all about, you know, it's all about Christian marriage. Well, we created these new liturgies that fit for same-sex blessings and then became same-sex marriages. And then like, you know, uh, all the all the cishets are like, wait, this is really good liturgy. Yeah. <laughs> can I use this too? Yes, that's the point, you know? It turns out you can, right? <laughs> like, like you've like, and that's like, that's the whole concept of like, of like queering something. Like, I think, I think mm -hmm. I said that, right? Like, I think I get that, right? Like, like to allow ourselves as heteronormative people part of a heteronormative culture to allow ourselves to be influenced and impact impacted by not it's not just that you're you are welcome in my space right this is as much yours as it is mine right and i think that's where especially the episcopal church not only on issues of of sexuality and gender but especially race um oh how do, how do we get out of our brains in this sort of like white heterosexual american hegemony um, and allow ourselves to be changed when we, when we, I don't even want to say like welcome the other, but cause it sounds like then they're coming onto our turf. But when we open ourselves to being changed by, by others. And I yeah. think, I mean, that even, that's even true in, um, 
gosh, how many churches have you known or been a part of where people say they want young people and then young people come in yeah. and they have new ideas? Not like that. Energy. Not like that. I, yeah. <laughs> I started in, 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 I had, a, I had someone say to me at a church I worked at, um, it's, I had, I, my presence and the work that I had done, we were bringing in younger people and someone said, it's really wonderful, actually, that you're bringing in all these people, but I, I really feel like they need to be raised up to our level. We shouldn't be sinking to theirs. Straight face, like in front of other people with no sense that that was, it wasn't like gossipy or secretive. Like it was just a very, like in a formal meeting, like obviously it's great that they're here. Now let's get them up to snuff. Well, <laughs> And or I, like, I think the common, um, the common complaint, like, especially is with like when families with young children come in and all of a sudden, you know, the worship time is a little noisier and a little wigglier and people's um, perception of worship as this very silent, serious, holy right. thing is right. challenged. Yeah. But like, don't we want young kids in no. worship? No. no, we want them in the childcare until they're ready to be acolytes who are quiet and then join the youth group, which is the youth group's the only group that's allowed to do any work around the church yes. or do anything that's worth a damn. And then, um, and then they better go off to college and uh, forget about church and then get married to the appropriate gender, settle down and start all over again. Yeah, it's, it's, and I actually, we, I mean, I will say I, that I, we, I, we joke, I think there are some people a few like that here, but the at Redeemer, but the culture of this church, I think, I think by and large is, 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 but we're going to see, we're going to be, I'm going to be doing some pushing around making sure that kid, children are more welcome, that it's a more welcoming space. And so I say that now, but we'll see what happens. So um, yeah, uh, I'm going to, yeah, go for it. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm going to step away for a second and I'm going to talk to you all for just a minute. Um, so, you know, I'm going to talk to you directly, uh, Leslie, and then to those others who are listening. Um, and, and, and I'll just assume Kira will back me on this. You know, when I talk about saying like, we shouldn't say we're like those other Christians. Um, one of the things I'm always concerned about is having the capacity to think that we're better than others. And there is a long strain within our tradition um, within this Episcopal church, within, within, within this Anglican tradition of really thinking that like we do things properly. And I'm guilty of this, by the way. So I'm not speaking for, as like some John the Baptist, you know, uh, crying out in the wilderness, that there's a proper way to do things and that it's the right way. And I've been the guy who's seen um, certain vestments that I thought were um, not up to my standards or not attractive by my definitions. And I've been, well, that's, you know, I've been just like, catty and sort of uh, dismissive. Um, and I've been a person who's, I mean, I'm, I have all sorts of racist and sexist assumptions that I'm still working through. So there's a lot of places where I want to be really careful about what, uh, when we say we're not like other Christians, like what we're doing, like to be careful about not being sort of arrogant about that. Um, that being said, one of the areas you may have heard me talk about before in the church, and one of the areas that I think we, and this goes back to kind of what I was saying before, but I want to say it again and more like clearly and emphatically so there's no mistake. Episcopalians are quite often better at saying what we aren't than saying what we are. 
while we're not like those kinds of Christians, ends up oftentimes being just the way we define ourselves. Fine. So what are you? Say that we are LGBTQ plus affirming. Say that um, um, while we are clearly still under the thrall of racism and sexism and all the rest, that we are trying to create a space where we have, for instance, women in areas of leadership where we look up to them and there's no, it's not a second tier citizenship or, or uh, sort of like qualified leader, uh, like uh, uh, put a qualifier on it, uh, that, that the leadership is, is what it is, that I don't, need to, I don't need to speak, I don't need to approve of Kira to speak before Kira speaks, that Kira speaks on her own agency, that we, that we have a, a, a space that acknowledge, for instance, we should be able to say what the Bible is. Mm -hmm. Don't just tell me you don't take it literally, because some of it you do take literally, actually. So then, so, so we should be able to say the Bible is a collection of writings that the church has said points to the lordship of Jesus in the world. That when you take this collection of writings as a whole, it tells the story of the, of the, of the people of God. Um, and it tells us the salvation history that is centered, as we believe, on Jesus so the stories and, and the letters and the songs and the poems and the, and the metaphors and the literal things are all put together as a way to point towards the reality of who Jesus is in the world. And that's why they exist, so that the Christian community may have some guidelines and some narrative around how they understand the lordship of Jesus and what that means for all of us and what that means for humanity. That that is a, what I just did, whether you like it or not, or whether it's coherent or it's good or not, or you agree, it's at least a positive articulation of how I read the Bible rather than just, I don't read it like those people. Yeah, what yeah. that requires of us is Christian formation. It requires us to take seriously teaching you what it means to be us and to do that in a way that somehow isn't exclusive and just automatically shaming people for being different. That's some tricky territory. This is complicated. And our tradition uh, experiences um, Christian formation most fully through its liturgy. It's the way that we most, we worship. That's how we like, our worship is the primary way that Episcopalians understand being formed as Christians, our gathered worship. And so that means, but we don't spend a lot of time in worship formally articulating an approach to reading the Bible or formally articulating um, an acceptance of LGBTQ plus people uh, through a Christian lens. We, so, so that stuff ends up kind of, the leadership will do it. People like Kira and I will do the work, but are we helping our congregation to do that work? Are we explaining, are we explaining and, and instructing and, and living into a a decolonized understanding of evangelism so that instead of just not speaking about evangelism at all, we speak about evangelism from a decolonized and healthy Christian point of view. These are things that we have to do. This is on us, Kira and me, but it's on our congregation too, how we do that. And so that's, anyways, that's, um, yeah, anyhow, uh, that's, I was, I, I was, I started the vamping while Kira was gone, but it, it was great. It was you great. Got the, you, got, you pulled the <laughs> you pulled the string on the talking on the chatting Kathy doll, and it it it's got to finish its round, you know. So 
No, I think, um, you know, as Episcopalians and particularly as, um, I don't know about the folks who are watching or listening to this, but, you know, I've got a lot of people in my congregation who have come out of other traditions um, and, and in a kind of like, I am putting this aside for this thing. And it requires some, you know, deconstruction is kind of the word I hear people use to talk about it. But once you deconstruct, then you have to construct something, right? So you need to be able to positively answer those questions. What is the Bible to me? Yeah. Who is Jesus to me? Yeah. Um, how does Jesus relate to God in, you know, my life? And, um, you know, I, those are really important. You know, of course, we spend our whole life, we spend our whole lifetime answering those questions in some, yeah. in some sense. Um, but I, I definitely agree with you, Phil, that it's certainly not enough to just kind of say like, this is, this is not who we are. We need to also speak positively, um, about, about who we are and what we believe and why we believe those things. Um, you know, I believe in, uh, liberation for all people because Jesus has liberated us from death in the resurrection and mm -hmm. wants us all, you know, God wants Look into that. Yeah, God wants us to be uh, live in fulfillment of who God created us to be. Yep. Um, and, and so those, you know, those can be harder things to kind of say they don't have pat answers like well the Bible is the word of God. Right. Well, yes, it is. But yes. in what way do you mean it? Like, in what way is it the word of God? Right? Because I grew up in a tradition where, because we say the Bible is the word of God, what we mean when we say that is that God wrote it or or inspired it directly in such a way that so if you say the earth wasn't created in seven days, oh, so you're calling God a liar. Literally, I mean, I've literally had someone say, and not like angrily, just say calmly, like, well, then you're calling God a liar. And I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. So but that's but they weren't even being coy like that. Like that's so so even when we use words, like, I think you just tapped into something that's so big for me, which is that we refuse to have pat answers mm -hmm. but uh that you know and put it in crude market terms that hinders our marketability um this this church down the road they used the uh they used this pandemic time and apparently some of their um payroll protection money uh to repaint their building and they they rebranded they got a new logo it's very similar to the old logo but it's got an arrow in it now and they have a new slogan kira Ooh. Are you ready for what it means to be church at that church? I, I am. What is, what is their logo? Or their motto. I'm sorry, their motto. Born for adventure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I yep. have a lot of questions. <laughs> so, so, so many, so many, but most of them are, most of it is just in pure anger. Cause I'm just like, ah, yes. That's what Jesus is about, adventure. You know, G Jesus is really like the Indiana Jones of the Bible, just swinging through, um, and just and just making it right with his with his with his. He does he does have a whip, uh, and the, in, when he drives people out of the temple. I mean, I could I could preach that sermon. Um, born for adventure, Kira. Are you born for adventure? Because that's what it means to be Christian, I guess. I, you know. I don't really like adventure that much. No, I, no, <laughs> nope, nope. Well, I mean, I, I understand I'm not probably the kind of person that this church is uh, wanting. No, they want everybody. No, they're inclusive. They want everybody. They want everybody. They want everybody. 
I don't feel Everybody. like it would be my vibe. No. Um, yeah. So one of the interesting things about this Mars Hill podcast is that they were talking about um, just kind of the growth of mega churches in sort of the 90s and 2000s and yeah. the sort of marketing that went into that. And uh, Saddleback Church had mm -hmm. a an exact, like they had a drawing of a person that was called Saddleback Sam. Mm -hmm. And this was who they wanted to reach. And, you know, it listed a whole bunch of characteristics of Saddleback Sam. Yes. Um, you know, he was a, a, a pretty busy professional guy. He was pretty satisfied with his life. Um, you know, probably maybe didn't really think that he needed Jesus that much because mm -hmm. things were kind of going well for him. He's got a family. He's got a cell phone. He's right. got, you know, um, a good income. He's got a house, right? He's got a he goes on vacation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so this was the person that they were trying to reach, knowing that if they reached the Saddleback Sams of the world, that the Saddleback Sams would then bring their families. Um, and it was just, it's just fascinating to me from a marketing standpoint. <laughs> oh. An evangelism standpoint, because, just, you know, we don't often think, I guess, who, who is our market? Who's our demographic? No. And, and I do think there is a degree to which we could be a little bit more savvy, a little bit more, uh, um, you know, self-aware, self-aware would be great. Accessible would be wonderful. I mean, when you look at some of these churches, there is a focus on accessibility, mm -hmm. um, where they will end up doing things like have like wheelchair ramps that some of our churches, I mean, ours is all ADA accessible, but like some of our older churches, they're like, they like, wouldn't even think about it. Or they'll make sure that if you come and you're hearing impaired, they're going to have something for you. I mean, there is, there are, some of these mega churches are really wonderful at saying like, like we will be accessible to you and we're not going to create barriers between you and the divine if we can help it. Um, but that's also in itself. I mean, like God creates God's own barriers. <laughs> um, but that's, but, but like this church down the street, when they, they were first created by people who worked at Procter and Gamble. And they did literally the exact same thing. I mean, they used Saddleback as a model and they created a logo that's a cross, but it looks like the head of a Phillips head screwdriver hmm. because they were trying to appeal to um, men, macho men, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, who all know about screwdrivers. And I don't know, I don't know about like a cross. That's kind of, that's kind of Jesus-y, but that screwdriver, like that, that Phillips head screw, that top, that, that like equal ended cross, you know, that, that kind of, I'm comfortable with that. It's a little edgy. It's a little different. And um, yeah, I just, see, we can denounce other people. It turns out, Leslie. Um, <laughs> We're being I, skeptical, but. <laughs> I, 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 well, here's my concern. Is that being raised in a church if you're a woman and you're being raised in a church that is patriarchal, it doesn't matter what people say about what they believe for you. You are being told that this is how God sees you. Even if you're not being told that directly, you're being told indirectly. And I don't need to tell you. I mean, the last thing I needed was explain that to you, but I'm saying it more for the group. Yeah. Like, and I'm acknowledging as a man that I see it. Like, I guess I want to say I, as a man also recognize this to be true. Mm -hmm. That, that growing up as a straight white male, but I noticed that all of the men in leadership and all of the men that everyone admired were taller than me, uh, thinner than me, um, uh, you know, uh, had more money than me. Um, you notice that, that, that this, is the, this is what we are telling you. This is what the norm is supposed to be. And this is how we see God's blessing. And then go further when, and we say, if you say, um, 
oh, if one of my kids um, turned out to be gay, of course I would, I would love them and welcome them as they are, of course, right? But you're taking them to a community and inculcating them, you're indoctrinating them and, and letting them soak, soak in, in, in the reality of a, of a community that doesn't actually love them for who they are, but who they're, who they're supposed to be. And so I do have some concerns and I'm oh, like, 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 like not just about the fact that we're different from those places, but like, like the need for us to very clearly say what we are, because I actually do believe that a deep um, engagement with um, churches that, uh, that promote um, uh, heterosexuality is the only uh, way that God blesses that promote a, a, a patriarchal household and leadership style um, that promote um, without even like, like white culture and Americanism that that's damaging to your relationship with Jesus Christ and damaging to your psyche. And so I do, I mean, I think those things and and I shouldn't, and I, and so I, I don't want to be, you know, it's like we're Episcopalians, so we don't want to be rude. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. I, you know, this is, the, um, this is the dilemma. This is the right. dilemma. I was, my husband came home from work and we were talking about, you know, his workplace has gone to a system where you have to prove that you are vaccinated to no longer wear a mask. So yes. it's pretty obvious who has not been vaccinated because they're yeah. wearing masks. Yeah. And so I kind of said like, oh, like who, you know, anybody you kind of know? And he said, well, this guy, but he's like really Christian. So that isn't that surprising to me. And I was like- I, so You're like, wait, a, I'm really Christian. I, I was like, just out of curiosity, like would you describe me as really Christian? Like I'm literally a priest. <laughs> right, right. I'm, trying, I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> I do it from Christian for a living. And he was like, well, like, no, but like, you know what I mean, you know? <laughs> and that I think is where it gets challenging for me because I wish that yeah. our brand, our type of Christian was the predominant, you know, the dominant type of Christian. So that when people said, oh, they're really Christian, they meant like they spend their Saturdays feeding the hungry and right. like they- um, Right, they're they trying to root out injustice. <laughs> what if what if what if they're really Christian means they're someone that I can talk to without feeling judged? What if it yeah. meant that? Yeah. What if it meant like they're a person from whom I through whom I experience genuine love and affection and faithfulness? Oh my gosh. That's what I want to build. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, you want to start a mega church with me? <laughs> I'm kidding. We're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. Can you imagine, like, <laughs> like, how do you just decide it's a mega church? Like, I don't know. You and I could do it. Like, we'd be really good at it. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's then that's a whole other conversation about sort of church planting. And no, no I'm not. I'm t listen because here's the thing. <laughs> it goes back to like it is that you have to you have to. It is a um, who whoever said churches should be mega. Yeah. Who calls you? Who calls you when you get the diagnosis? You know, well, who, one of the 18 pastors on staff, Phil. Right, 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 right. And our church, I, I, the, my church here is a larger church within the Episcopal tradition. Mm -hmm. But we, 
and so I'm sure others within our tradition would look at us and go like, who are you to talk? You know, like you got three pastors, you have three priests on staff and that's fair. But I, I do think one of the things that has, we've tried to do is um, maintain a sense of you being connected and, 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 and to one another. And I mean, it's a work, we, it's a work in progress, but like you, 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 you don't like the, 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 the benefit of going and being anonymous and sitting in a rock concert and having someone give you a, 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 a Bible themed a, a veggie tales pep talk like doesn't um it doesn't attract it's not interesting to me or someone getting up and telling me for 45 minutes what the bible really means also does not do it for me you know so um we can't probably use another word besides christian leslie i think we need to hold on to that one but if you're interested, Chris, Leslie mentioned possibilities for alternates to kingdom of heaven or kingdom of, what'd you say? Kingdom of heaven. Um, yeah. Realm uh, of God. People talk about of, blessed community. That's a big, the, the word realm right of now. God, beloved community. Beloved community. Um, a realm of God is a really like, uh, uh, anytime it says kingdom of God, you could justly translate it as realm of God or reign of God. Um, I heard uh, McLaren once call it, um, use the term commonwealth, which I thought was a bit of a stretch. Um, it's a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch linguistically. It's not actually that much of a stretch theologically, but it's a bit of a stretch linguistically. Right. Um, and I'm about, I'm enough of a word nerd that I was like, don't push it there, Brian. Yeah. But, um, Bry, my old pal. Bry. Um, yeah. Well, we've got just a couple minutes left. I hope we sort of answered the question or at least- We, we, um, sure, did so, we sure did something with it. We did something, gave you some more to think about and we'd Mr. love to field more of your questions uh, on future in future weeks, but we are back for the- you know Back at it. Future. Hey, Kira. Hey. What you been listening to? I knew you were gonna ask me this. <laughs> you should have known. <laughs> what have I been listening to? Um, so my best friend's husband introduced me to a, uh, I guess, it, I don't know if they're a duo, a trio, I think called the, the Roaches, Roaches, um, R-O-C-H-E-S. I, I know them. Yeah. Okay. I know one of their songs and it's real. like, they do like, it's like, uh, uh, close harmonies and it's the my song I know is acapella, I think. Yeah. Some of it is. Yeah. So, um. It's an older, they're an older group, you know, from yep. the late seventies. How did we discover um, them at the same time? How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> Must be something in the water. I mean, that's really weird that you said that because they popped up in my, I'm trying to find the song. They popped up in my, um, in my feed. And I'm trying to figure out what song you're right. They're all like seventies and eighties. Yeah. Hmm. There was one of their songs that popped up. That's crazy that you just said that to me <laughs> so and some of their music is very like funny it has some humor to it yes um yeah but it's not like a i don't know it's not like a comedy album or something no so. no uh my daughter wanted to hear uh, i i put this on facebook so some of you've heard this but i put on metallica the other day <laughs> it was just me and my daughter and i thought she could handle enter sandman -na 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 -na, and it starts and she just goes She's in the car. She just goes, hey, daddy, are there any girls in this rock group? And I was like, no. And she was like, 
well, could we listen to some that have girls in it? You like you jerk. <laughs> I was just like, I wanted to be like, I mean, we can, but also you can like Metallica. But instead I was just like, I was like, yeah, of course. And so I'm like, immediately I'm like, I got to move fast. And there's so many options. Right. And for whatever reason, I was just like, all right, I'm playing whole for my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> So I kind of, just, I'm like, we were in the, I just hit the first song on the like, the like tops and it was Celebrity Skin, which is fine. It's a good song. But then Violet came on, which is like their like, their big breakthrough hit from Live Through This, um, where she's like yelling, go on, take everything, take everything, you know, like, and I played that and she, sorry, I played the first song and she goes, so that was good. Like that, she goes, so that was good. And I was like, yeah, it's good. So then I played Violet. And she goes, that was the best rock song I've ever heard in my life. Yes. And so we listened to Hole. And then then I yesterday I introduced her to L7. Okay, wow. She and today, this morning, I'm like, what do you want to listen to? She's like, can you listen to L7? And I was like, we can. They're pretty heavy. Some of those lyrics I'm gonna get in trouble for. But yes, <laughs> we can listen to L7. So we're getting to some 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 heavier uh, uh, rock and roll that is that is um, that is uh, not androcentric. How about that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, here. Let me tell you something. My dad, when I was a teenager, like young teenager to like middle teens. Uh, those were the Lilith Fair years. Ah, wow. And my dad, bless him, took me to Lilith Fair. Just Did you have your hair up in little buns? <laughs> that's probably that's probably too Coachella. We're too old for that. That's fantastic though, Kira. And you know, those are some of my favorite memories with my dad uh, with my dad of just um oh my you know going going to Lilith Fair my dad taking his teenage daughter yeah. before I was able to drive yeah. um uh, to Lilith Fair so you gotta have those like those those dad moments that are like also affirming or like yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean I I'm trying I grew up in a house with all like it was three my dad and my mom and three boys and my mom grew up as a tomboy by her own words and so there wasn't like, and so she never really saw herself as a super sort of feminine woman. That's not how she, she would talk about herself. She would like say, I, she would like talk, describe being a tomboy. And so like, I'm trying to be really sensitive to like this daughter, like how, how I try to honor that. And I mean, it's just new to me, right? It's all new, but, but one way I can do that is by playing L7 and whole yeah. and, um, and stuff like that, getting her into like, and just, you know, she'll notice stuff. She'll, we watched The Sandlot. And she was like, this is a good movie, but it's all boys. And I was like, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. It's from my childhood when we didn't care about girls. It's so it's, I don't I didn't say that, but that's like the reality. It's like, I know. I mean, even I like, will kind of notice stuff like that. Like I'll be like watching a movie that, you know, has Oscar buzz or whatever. And I'll be like, where are the women in this movie? You seen? I forget. Are you a person that grew up with with or without Star Wars in your life? Kind of without. I mean, okay. I remember watching it. A so while. I grew up with it like deeply entrenched. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until recently that there's this scene like there's this like like there's this scene where like after Obi Wan Kenobi is killed, mm 
this is the first movie y'all should know that by now uh that like princess leia is like comforting luke skywalker and someone was like yeah she had her whole home planet blown up like 24 hours ago but she's got to comfort the guy who lost his mentor that he'd known for three days yeah that sounds yeah that sounds right that sounds right that sounds right she's fine her entire planet was destroyed that's where she keeps all her stuff it was destroyed destroyed and she's like sorry about your friend that you've known for a minute like and, and if leia had expressed any kind of grief or show like we wouldn't even what a bummer that would have been right anyways that's a whole other conversation and we're now way past time we are we're, we're a little bit past time so um You're great to be with you all again it's great to be back with you phil um, You're, a gift. You're a gift to me. This is wonderful. Ask us questions. Leslie thinks, yes, please send us more questions. Everybody, uh, if you're watching this live, if you're watching it recorded, uh, if you've show, show, someone showed it to you as a friend, I think we're going to be having this on audio only podcast. You can listen to it. Um, jump in yeah. and, uh, and yeah. send us a question. Yeah. Great to be with you. Hope to see you next week on Are You There, God? It's Kira and Phil. Bye. Bye.